to respect die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. There's nothing to death. It's like Max that is just stepping over in another plane. Don't, don't be this way. Stop this hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialists and communists to die. Alright, what's up everybody and welcome to episode number 106 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. My name is Josh Ken and I'm one of your hosts, but not your only host. Because much like most packs of Little Debbie Cakes, there's two of us that come in one pack. My counterpart, his name is Mike, and now he's going to say words. Yo! Alright, Mike is a bro this week. Yes, that's <laughs> right folks, even though he didn't say it, we are doing cult month this month. Um, and last week we did Heaven's Gate, and judging by the play counts, you guys kind of liked it. So, um, we're going to continue ahead with, with Jonestown this week, uh, one that I, one of my personal favorite cults for various reasons. Um, I didn't know all the details about Jonestown until I saw this documentary that we're going to be talking about and did my own research, and it is absolutely horrifying devastating and just something that it gets trivialized a lot nowadays oh so you you went in you went kind of blind then a little bit yeah a little bit because i I knew that i knew that people died you know i knew i just didn't know the severity of it i didn't know the extent of it Ah. and because i thought it was all oh they drank the kool-aid like most people do but then I didn't know the context. And now that I know the context, like that term isn't even correct, for one. It shouldn't even really be used to apply to this particular situation. Because it wasn't even Kool-Aid to begin with, folks. It was a cheap knockoff called Flavor-Aid. And not everyone uh, drank it willingly. In fact, a majority of people did not drink it willingly. There were even people that were injected with poison... There were newborn babies and other kids who were forced to be uh, poisoned. Uh, there were people who were there that said that there were people who were forcing them and intimidating uh, them to partake in this ritual. Uh, otherwise, they were going to shoot them or they were going to you know, sh- uh, kill them in, in another way. They were going to so, die one way or another because Jim Jones, exactly. their fearless leader, decided that that was going to happen. Yeah. So the whole concept, oh, drink the Kool-Aid, it means uh, it's people who blindly follow the leader or groupthink or whatever. If you look into the context and to the actual history of Jonestown, you realize that that's not even really necessarily a true statement when it when it's applied to this. But it's so ingrained in popular culture that people are like, what? What do you mean? No, it is. Yeah, it is. Totally. Like, But if you actually go in and read and look it up everything, it isn't. Mike, are you, really, are, you really, are you really getting up in arms over someone substituting Kool-Aid for Flavor-Aid? No, it's not just that. It's just people trivialize this whole Jonestown massacre nowadays by using that statement constantly all the time just, without just any context. very cavalierly saying yeah. like yo there he clearly you know it, it it's could be some minor situation and it's like oh well i didn't want to get a new um 
I, I didn't agree to get a uh, spend our office budget on a new bathroom, but everyone drank the Kool-Aid already. So we did went ahead and did that. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's a very that's a very heavy term you just used. But that's what tends to happen as time marches on, you know, like these big tragedies become almost um, trivial. Yeah, well, but they do this, become it happened like immediately almost. Well, like I mean, immediately it's like after it happened. It's to me, it's like 9-11, you know, like I, I see, I mean, shit, there was well, a, there was one video game or computer game I was playing and there was a, a character and he had the ability to nuke uh, a, a, yeah. a something. And uh, a lot of people were saying, uh, oh, that was the 9-11 strategy or whatever. And, and it's yeah, like, I'm not I'm not saying that people, you know, have to stop using it or something. I'm just saying that it's one of those terms that when you actually look into what actually happened in Jonestown. It's fucked up. Like, it, it's fucked up. Yeah. It's no longer like, ha, ha, ha. It's like, damn. Right. When you revisit <laughs> the event that started, that coined a phrase, and you really look at behind the origins of it, it's fucked up. As as most things in our lexicon, yeah. most words tend to be that, you know, that are negative, that are negative in connotation. Mm-hmm. Like, you know the n-word or anything else if you look or or or, or you know us the uh well slang. i mean even a term like the peanut gallery that that actually has a racist connotation to it oh really apparently. what is that what yeah. is it um i have to look it up again oh that's fine we'll 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 enlighten the audience later on when one of us is reading and the other one has a time to look it up but yeah i mean all these words they they i think they become so you know, and phrases become so heady because the the historical context that they carry. You know, um, so yeah, that's that's one of many aspects that are fascinating that came from this documentary. I remember seeing this documentary years ago, probably a decade ago, when it was on TV, and I was just so touched by it in in a very disturbing and shocking way. And man, if you thought Heaven's Gate was a crazy cult, like Jim Jones dials up the uh the membership and the severity of what happens this is what the peanut gallery is this phrase intends to reference the hecklers or critics usually the ill-informed ones in reality the peanut gallery names a section in theaters usually the cheapest and worst where many black people sat during the era of vaudeville oh wow oh, i never did not know that yeah I wonder how many other sayings are like racist as fuck that we use in our everyday that that are co- oh like uh, like um. I, anyway, I'm not gonna go down that road because I don't. I don't want <laughs> that, to. That'd be a whole other video. I don't want to throw a phrase podcast. out and be like, "Oh, what about this phrase?" You know, like I, I don't want to go down that road. But yeah, that's that's hey, that's America for you, folks. We have a we have a storied past to say the least. But anyway, um, we are going back to the past even more so. Um, before we go into this documentary and really break it down, uh, I want I want to remind everybody. From the CBSnews.com article, this professional uh, cult examiner, um, I, I want to remind everybody the six signs or symptoms that you are probably in a cult. Number one, and keep this in mind as we as we diagnose and go through this uh, documentary. Number one, be beware of any kind of pressure. That's probably the single most important advice I can give anyone. Any kind of pressure to make a quick decision about becoming involved in any intensive kind of activity or organization. This rings so true for this cult. 
Secondly, be wary of any leader who proclaims him or herself as having special powers or special insight and, of course, divinity. Strike number two against this documentary and this guy, Jim Jones. Number three, the group is closed. So in other words, although there may be outside followers, there's usually an inner circle that follows the leader without question and maintains a tremendous amount of secrecy. This doesn't ring as true for this cult because everybody in it was pretty much, you know, on the inner sanctum. But there was secrecy as far as talking to journalists. Well, it, there there actually was a uh, select circle of individuals that had uh, more power than others in uh, in uh, the people's uh, temple. Temple. Sorry, I just struggling to find <laughs> temple. Yeah, I was struggling to find the temple. Uh, it, it's I, I'm still kind of shell shocked after you know watching that documentary. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, I mean there was there was kind of a inner sanctum, but it was never really na- it didn't have like a name like the Sea Org or anything no, like that. No, it didn't. But but it was definitely uh, he had hench- he had henchmen. You know, he had henchmen like he, the doctor had- who was the one that came up with the ways to to kill a massive amount of people. Yeah. in the cult so number and so on and so forth number four the group uses deceptive means typically to recruit new members and then once recruited will subject its members to an organized program of thought reform or what most people refer to as brainwashing now ding 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 <laughs> this was done this was absolutely done but this was done in a much longer more mm, yeah, you know, it started out pretty much from the beginning, uh, according to a lot of. I mean, it, it's it that was it was all of a total uh, disguise and well, a way to hide his true intentions. Maybe it was a disguise, but at the beginning, it started out as a church, a a evangelical church, yeah, where they but, were where they worshipped God and they danced around to music and uh-huh. this that and the other. To quote one of the members. It bared uh, a lot of marks of of black churches in a lot of ways. It carried a lot of the hallmarks that are typical of black churches. So it was this very high energy kind of ser- you know worship service. Um, but as time went on, Jim Jones started saying a bunch of crazy bullshit, and the people at that point, because he had, he had ingratiated himself into not only the black community but to everybody who was Uh a part of this organization they just went along with it so there was a more subtle long-term brainwashing that went along that ultimately resulted in a bunch of people moving to guyana yeah it's kind of like uh heaven's gate it's kind of like apple white it's the same sort of thing yeah there's a gradual brainwashing over time number five Typically, cults also exploit their members, mostly financially. Within the group, they'll exploit members financially, psychologically, emotionally, and sexually. Now, unlike the Heaven's Gate one that only really did the psychologically and emotionally... Oh, Jim Jones did all of it. <laughs> Jim Jones did pretty much all of it. Um, he had people working, all the congregation working for him, and they wouldn't get paid because the uh-huh. their paycheck would... Uh, go to the 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 church and would therefore benefit. It was a very socialist um, organization, and I'm not saying that mm-hmm. I'm not using socialism as a pejorative here. I'm saying so, like in the very definition of socialism, it was uh, it was very much about the group. So your money would go for the betterment of the group. Now, 
on the other hand, if you needed medical treatment, if you needed anything, the church would pay for that. So there was some benefit to it as well, I guess. But yeah, psychologically, emotionally, and sexually, Jim Jones was a, a horn dog. So we will find yep. out more out about that later, too. And number six, finally, uh, a very important aspect of a cult is the idea that if you leave the cult, horrible things will happen to you. Um, this is important to realize. Uh, the people outside of a cult are potential members, so they're not looked upon as negatively as the people inside the cult who want to leave the cult. Now, I don't know. You can correct me on this if I'm wrong, Mike, but I don't particularly recall any... Um, direct threats of what would happen to you if you left people's temple but it oh there 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 were definitely some it, there were definitely a lot it just was not referenced in this particular document okay like there there were plenty of uh anecdotes from people who were part of the temple especially jonestown that uh said things that he was essentially threatening people you know you can't leave um you're gonna die you know, that type of thing. Like, he was really, really slipping um, in and out, completely out of reality when he was uh, residing in, in Jonestown. So, what we have here, folks, is a bona fide cult. We've gone through the six steps of, of cult acceptance. And, yeah. And one of the most infamous, for sure. We, like, we, I mean, Heaven's Gate's infamous as well, but Heaven's Gate has that kind of, like, yeah, people killed themselves, and it was really messed up and strange, but it seemed like it wasn't as psycho psychotic, I guess. Uh, well, I would say what they believed in was... I mean, openly... Was, I'd say I mean, what they believed in was more psychotic, but I think what you're, what you're saying is it wasn't as far-reaching as the yes. Jonestown stuff, because yeah. we're talking about 909 people dead. Mm-hmm. In Jonestown. And that's counting the people who uh, perished because of uh, Jim Jones and his orders. There were, I think, 10 others that died on the runway. Yeah, so Heaven's Gate was, what, 30-something? Which, mm -hmm. I'm not to trivialize. And their brains were completely, completely gone by that point in time. Yeah, for the most part. They were, 100%. They decided that they were going to the next level or whatever the hell, and these people... You know, I, I mean, there were a few that probably did openly uh, drink the flavor aid or, or took the poison. But there were a lot of people that didn't. I mean, 304 of the people who died uh, at Jonestown were 17 or younger. Oh, shit. That's 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 a real tragedy right there. And a big part of that is because Jim Jones had a son uh, that with another person who was no longer a part of the people's temple and then wanted to get their son back. And there was this whole sort of legal battle back and forth. And it, apparently that just upset him. And he actually did, uh, have that son killed as well as uh, a bunch of other children. Yeah. Cause this guy is a sick bastard. Damn, Mike, you do have some extra info. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive in. Let's dive into this. Let's take a big bite out of this cookie. This is going to be a two-parter. I can tell you that right now. It's going to take too long for us to go over in one <laughs> podcast. 
And we have lives, people. I mean, we, we skipped even the, the bullshit that we normally go through at the beginning of the podcast. The, oh, hey, Mike, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we skipped all that because we want to get into this. So this documentary, and it's on YouTube, and we post it on our Facebook group, which I guess I'll get that out of the way. If you want to join our Facebook group, it's facebook.com. Um, and, I mean, we it's not slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, but you can like that page, too. It's our fan page. But go to just go to the group section on Facebook and type in our podcast name, damn it. And then it'll ask you a few questions just to make sure you're not some spam or fake. For some reason, all these like fake people are trying to fake news. Uh-huh. They're trying to join our group and infiltrate it, I guess. But um, yeah. yeah, you can do that. Uh, you can yeah. uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You will get this podcast earlier than everyone else and you'll get other benefits that uh, I don't have time to get into right now, but just go and check it out for yourself. So anyway, this documentary is called Joe. I actually have, just before we get started, I actually do have an actual quote from Jim Jones uh, for, uh, from uh, that ties into the whole threatening people and saying that you can't leave. Uh, there was a bunch of people that went to Jonestown uh, they got on a boat ride that took two days to get there. He confiscated all their money and their passports. And he told disgruntled residents, if you want to go home, you can swim. We won't pay your fucking way home. Well, that's not very godlike at all. That doesn't sound like something a evangelical uh, pastor would say to his congregation. Now does it? The documentary left out a lot of stuff in terms of how even more of a fucking asshole Jim Jones is. So he was. We're gonna switch between little columns here. You know, we can just mm-hmm. go back and forth. I want to yep. take any Jim Jones quote though, because I, I got. Um, I think I got his. You voice. got a Jim Jones impression, kinda. Um, okay. so it opens up by saying um, on November eighteenth, nineteen seventy eight, in Jonestown, Guyana. 909 members of the People's Temple died in what has been called the largest mass suicide in modern history. And I'd argue that it isn't entirely a suicide. I, I, I honestly feel after seeing this documentary and doing my research, I think it is more of a massacre, uh, a mass murder, than it is uh, technically a mass suicide. I, I, I think there are some people who willingly did it, but there's a lot of people who I don't feel they did at all. I think a they lot of people would uh, agree with you on that. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd, I would agree, especially for all the uh, young people who didn't really have much of a choice. You know, so they, they weren't brainwashed. It starts it out with this sort of like this quote. Yeah, so let me just uh, say before we get to that. Now, now, all, all of these, um, everything you're going to hear is we're going through the transcript and we're commenting our thoughts on it, okay? So, mm-hmm. so these, everything that is read that you're going to hear are all members, former members of the people's temple. They serve either survived the, or they left before they left uh, before they went to Jonestown or they survived the Jonestown massacre as Mike put it. So I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't go through writing down every single one of their names, but just know everything you're hearing is from a former member unless otherwise noted. Yep. Nobody joins a cult. Nobody joins something they think is going to hurt them. You join a religious organization, you join a political movement, and you join with people that you really like. I think in everything that I tell you about Jim Jones, there is going to be a paradox. Having this vision to change the world, 
but having this whole undercurrent of dysfunction that was underneath that vision. And then it cuts to Jim Jones going, Some people see me, see a great deal of God in my body. They see Christ in me, a hope of glory. He said, If you see me as a friend, I'll be your friend. This is another guy speaking now. Yeah. Um, as you see me as your father, I'll be your father. He said, If you see me as your God, I'll be your God. Jim Jones then talked about going to the promised land, and then pretty soon we were seeing film footage of Jonestown. Rice, black-eyed peas, Kool-Aid. We all wanted to go. I wanted to go. People's Temple truly had the potential to be something big and powerful and great, and yet, for some reason, Jim took the other road. On the night of the 17th, it was still a vibrant community. I would have never imagined that 24 hours later, they would all be dead. Jim Jones is quoted here with saying, this is an archival clip from the documentary. Die with a degree of dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. It's nothing to death. It's just stepping over into another plane. Don't, don't, don't be this way. I hated that fucking statement. You know, don't, don't be this yeah, way. Yeah, it's like, fuck you, dude. Who, where do you get off? <laughs> And uh, th that's actually audio from the suicide tapes uh, that were recorded by Jim Jones himself. They had recorded um, these people, this cult, they had recorded an ex extensive amount of audio and video footage, a surprising there's amount. There's like 44 minutes of that tape that's even on YouTube. I didn't even listen to it because I'm like, I I'm just not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca Moore, a relative of the People's Temple member, I vividly remember the first time that I met Jim Jones. My sister Carolyn had invited my parents and my younger sister and I to visit her in Potter Valley. We came and there was this strange man in her house and her husband wasn't there. Annie and I were sent out to go on a walk and when we came back, something had happened. Something terrible had happened because everyone had red eyes except for Jim Jones. We didn't really get the story until we were in the car going home. He was carrying on an adulterous relationship with my sister. And because his wife couldn't relate to him as a wife, that Carolyn had taken over that role, everything was plausible, except in retrospect, the whole thing seems absolutely bizarre. Janet Schuler, People's Temple, former People's Temple member. The first time I visited People's Temple, I drove at the urging of a friend, a co-worker, to Redwood Valley. Stanley Clayton, People's uh, Temple member. We all got suited down, neck-tied and everything, and you know, and we were sharp. And as soon as I walked into the San Francisco temple, I was home. I was one of those kind of guys that I uh, used drugs. I was an alcoholic. I drank alcohol and stuff like that. And, and all these people that were like my age, they were clean. Before I came here, I was taking LSD, marijuana, every type of dope you can imagine. Without our pastor, Jim Jones, to teach me the right way, I would not be in college right now. And this is, it's archival footage of this, like, young girl in the crowd, and they're, yeah. like, got a microphone up to her. So she's basically saying, she was doing all kinds of shit. She was taking LSD, yeah. marijuana, every time, dope you can imagine. And apparently, without the pastor. I mean, I didn't know this aspect of the People's Temple. Like, all I knew about was Jonestown. So I had no context of that. And so this documentary did a really good job giving you this this uh, overview, this history of it. And, and it did seem rather benign at first. It's actually sounded, it seemed like something that actually was it, seemed like, like it a, might a be help. a good thing. Yeah, a service a to help the community. For people. 
And for me, that was like, wow, man, I like that. Thank you very much. Thank you. There was an interracial group. The choir was interracial, and they used to sing this song. Never heard a man speak like this man before. Never heard a man speak like this man before. All the days of my life, ever since I've been born, I never heard a man speak like this man before. And after they sang one or two songs, the whole place was lit up. The people's temple services, they had life. They had soul. They had power. We were alive in those services. I would be jumping up. I would be jumping in the balcony and clapping my hands. And if you came in as a stranger and didn't know anything about the politics, you were thinking you were entering an old-time religion service. By the time Jones did come out to do his speaking, the table had already been set. Jim Jones is here speaking. I represent divine principle, total equality, a society where people own all things in common, where there is no rich or poor, where there are no races, wherever there is people struggling for justice and righteousness, there I am, and there I am involved. What he spoke about were things that were in our hearts. The government was not taking care of the people. There were too many poor people out there. There were poor children. The world is like a human family. The little child may not be able to go and draw a paycheck, but the father guarantees the child care. The grandmother may not be able to work anymore, but the father and mother guarantees her the right to live. Every single person felt that they had a purpose there and that they were exceptionally special. And that is how he brought so many young college kids in and so many older black women in. So many people from diverse backgrounds who realized that there was something bigger than themselves that they needed to be involved in. And that Jim Jones offered that. I went home, told mom, you know what? This is the right church for me. It was the next week that I became a member of the People's Temple. Now the, the film shifts to Jim Jones' upbringing. And it's quoting Jim. I guess at some point he's talking about his, his earlier life. And he's saying, there's a little town in Indiana. The moment I think of it, a great deal of pain comes. As a child, I was undoubtedly one of the poor in the community. Never accepted. Born, as it were, on the wrong side of the tracks. I grew up with Jimmy Jones. We started first grade together. My brothers used to go over to Jimmy's house and hung around his barn, which was where he played. And from the time I was five years old, I thought Jimmy was a really weird kid. There was something not quite right about him. He was obsessed with religion. He was obsessed with death. My brothers came back with stories of him conducting funerals for small animals that had died. A friend of mine told me that he saw Jimmy kill a cat with a knife. Well, having a funeral for it was a little strange. Killing the animal was very strange. Jimmy's father did not work, did not have a job, and was a drunk. Jim's mother had to work in order to support the family. And he was kind of left to his own devices. Kind of uh, the kid who ran wild in the street. You know what I mean? Listen, he was in a dysfunctional family. We got a nice name for it now. But when you live in a dysfunctional family, you think it's normal. Now, this this blurb here really opened my eyes. This is the type of stuff you see from serial killers. Yeah. And psychopaths. This is the type of behavior that they do when they're younger. And that's not a good sign for what's to come at all. Also, the I, feeling of rejection, feeling like you don't yes. belong. These are all, you know, things that help facilitate the... But the whole killing the cat with a knife? Yeah. Yeah. He said he heard Obsessed it from a death? friend. You know, uh, he, he said he heard it from a friend, so I don't... I, I'm not going to take that as fact, but, you know, the obsession with death and the funerals for small animals and shit, ah, uh, you know. Eh. 
So then it cuts. That's, to, it's, it cuts. That's still strange. That's still really, really uh, weird and not normal for sure. So then it's uh, Jim Jones audio that from I guess that same audio from him talking about his earlier life, and he goes on saying. Feeling I was an outcast, I developed early a sensitivity for the problems of blacks. I brought the only black young man in the town home, and my dad said that he could not come in. And I said, then I shan't. And I did not see my dad for many years. Now, this is one aspect of Jim Jones that is somewhat admirable. Right. Despite how psychotic this guy is, and, and, and how crazy he would become, I mean, and maybe even how crazy he was then... It was. It's still something that it, it is. It's an admirable trait to have, especially in that particular time period. So that that's what really makes it even more tragic is that someone who actually had the wherewithal to do something positive for for the community and to try to unite uh, the races and try to break the barriers of of black and white and try to unite. Uh, people it, it just makes it even more tragic that that person would just completely lose their mind I mean, and then use his ability to uh get across his message to people like that and to to get people to join his people's temple for that reason for a multiracial community and it, it just makes it even more sad that he would abuse that and, and end up tarnishing that that good right. that he did do. I mean, one thing you can say about Jim Jones is like he wasn't racist. You know, he no. was he was so uh, pro black and pro everybody and pro integration uh -huh. at a time when that was so not accepted. And he was he was a white boy. There was nothing ethnic about Jim Jones. He was he was a cracker, <laughs> you know. And and he was sitting there. Being very progressive in some, in fact, I mean, Jim Jones was a straight up socialist. I mean, he, he, I mean, yeah. it, it, just look at what he's saying, you know, he's all for the redistribution uh -huh. of wealth and, you know, a lot of these other kind of socialist ideals. And I'm, again, I'm not commenting on whether socialism is right or wrong. I'm, it is what it is. And that's what he was uh, about. So, I mean, that's, that's an, in, that's what makes him such an interesting dichotomy because he did this horrible thing, yet. Unlike most cults where certain races and certain groups of people are excluded and not welcome, that was not the case here. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to mention that, speaking of the whole, uh, he was a white boy, he was a cracker thing. Um, early when he started uh, working on and doing his preaching stuff, he actually uh, was mentored by a black preacher, a black uh, preacher, preacher, <laughs> a black preacher. And this uh, preacher passed away, and then he started to uh, particularly act like he was reincarnated. You know, he was a reincarnated black preacher that uh, he uh, was uh, mentored by. From he was mentored by. Yeah, it shows you how crazy he was even then. Um, cracks were already starting to form in Lynn. Jim Jones looked for a community and couldn't find community. In Lynn is a town which had a population of, what, a thousand people? But he did find community in the Pentecostal church. He saw that they were a surrogate home. He saw that the preachers were like father figures to the congregations. 
and that role represented power over the lives of your congregation. And Jim Jones started out in the revival preaching circuit, learning the ropes of being a preacher. And once he started doing that, it became clear that he could get a following. The first time I met Jim Jones was Easter 1953. My mother-in-law, Edith Cordell, had a monkey and it hung itself. Can't make this shit up, folks. And she wanted to replace the monkey. So she looked in the Indianapolis Star, and in that Indianapolis Star was a Jim Jones ad that he had some monkeys to sell. So it was through that that she met Jim Jones and came back saying that he had invited her to church this next Sunday. It didn't make no difference what color you were. It was everybody welcome there in that church, and he made it very plain from the platform. We had some people that disagreed with Jimmy. They got up in the audience and they they said they disagreed with him. They did not like this integration part of the services. We did ask people to leave the church one night because of that. So, giving some actual uh, detail to the whole uh, black black, uh, preacher thing. Some reason I can't say those words together. Uh, An African-American preacher showed Jim Jones the way. This is from a Rolling Stone article. Looking to expand the reach of his organization, Jones frequently met with Father Divine, a popular, if controversial, black evangelist and the founder of the Peace Mission movement. Born sometime in the early 1880s, Father Divine started a religious movement in the 1910s that drew huge numbers of worshippers who saw him as God. As described in Raven, a judge suddenly died shortly after handing down the preacher a prison sentence for being a public nuisance. I hated to do it, Divine reportedly responded. Father Divine, who lived in an estate in Pennsylvania with his mother Divine, possessed the qualities that Jones mirrored for himself in the People's Temple. He had a multiracial congregation, believed in racial equality, and preached the abstention of sex. After the death of Father Divine in 1965, Jones made an unsuccessful power grab for the Peace Mission organization. During his visit to Divine's estate, even going so far as to claim that he was the reincarnation of the late preacher, Mother Divine responded by kicking him and his followers out, but not before Jones managed to poach a very small number of Peace Mission members to join him on the bus ride back to California. This is from uh, Jim Jones's adopted son, Jim Jones Jr., I was the first Negro child adopted by a Caucasian family in the state of Indiana. Jim and Marceline actually went to adopt a Caucasian child. The story goes that I was crying real loud and it drew attention for Marceline to come over. And once she picked me up, I stopped crying. My family was a template of a rainbow family. We had an African-American, we had two American Asian, and we had his natural son homemade. Jim was breaking new ground in race relations at a time when the ground was still pretty hard against that. Jim Jones was hated and despised by some people, particularly in the white community. There had been pressures on him to leave Indianapolis. He thought that Indianapolis was too racist of a place for him to be, and he wanted to take his people out. California is perceived to be a very progressive state. This would be the place to implement the dream of racial equality, not Indianapolis, which seems hopeless. But California, which seems to be the promised land, He chose Ukiah in Northern California, about 90 miles north of San Francisco, because there was an article in Esquire magazine that said that Ukiah was one of the nine places in the world that in the event of a nuclear thermo attack, people would survive. I told Edith, if you follow Jimmy to California, you're crazy. So what did Jimmy do? But took her to a psychiatrist and sent me a certified letter that said she is of sound mind and she is not crazy. I was there the afternoon that Edith drove away. 
I didn't know I'd never see her again. Jim's adopted son, Jim Jones Jr., once again. The move, to Carol- the move to California was really fun. There were about 12 to 15 cars driving across the United States and making that journey to a place that none of us knew. And, you know, none of us could even imagine. We were going to California, our new world. Another People's Temple member is quoted as saying, When I saw Redwood Valley, I couldn't believe my eyes because it was like a paradise. It was rural. It was green. There were grapevines everywhere, and I fell in love. I said, this has got to be a perfect way to live. And then Jim Jones is quoted here by saying, we started with about 141 people, and from that we've grown to a very thriving congregation. We have about every level of society, all socioeconomic income strata, professional down to the ordinary field worker, field laborer. Really, it's beautiful to see that all these divisions have broken down, not only race, but any differences of economic position. I just noticed something that L. Ron Hubbard's way of speaking is very similar to way, the way that jo- Jim Jones would, would speak. So it, it's, it's almost like those two would necessarily, you know, they might actually uh, see eye to eye. Well... With one another. Public speaking 101, which is, I'm sure, something a lot of cult leaders and shit, you know, if they want to, like, make an impact, they know that they have to work on their public speaking ability. Back in those times, that that w- trans... Enunciate. That transatlantic yeah. way of speaking was... was You were seen as educated if you spoke that way. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, Hubbard and Jones... But then again, a lot of preachers sp- spoke like that as well. Yeah, Hubbard and Jones were around. They were alive during the same time period, for sure. So, you know, that's that, that explains probably why they both kind of had that... And I'm not that talented of a voice actor, so that's another part <laughs> of it. That's probably the main part, but yeah. The focus of Jim's message was taken from the Bible, where Jesus in his earliest days told people to sell all things and have all things in common. Jim Jones is quoted as saying... Jesus Christ had the most revolutionary teachings to be said. In that sense, he said to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, take in the stranger, administer to those who are widows and afflicted in their suffering. And we feel that no one really tried Christianity too effectively in the Judeo-Christian method. The membership increased substantially as he procured more and more Greyhound buses and fixed them up. And every summer he began this cross-country tour. The purpose of the bus trips was to spread Jim's beliefs about socialism and the world and how we can live a better life and about an integrated lifestyle. But beyond, but behind that, I think it was to gather more members for the temple. I decided not to go to Vietnam, and I was just at the point of, what am I going to do with myself? I heard Jim Jones was coming to Philadelphia and coming to Benjamin Franklin High School, and I went Wednesday night and I listened to him, and I was impressed by how it was such an interracial group and people were really happy. That cuts to Jim Jones going, You got nothing to lose! Who else is going to stand and look at you in the face and say, Come, and I'll give you a job. Come, and I'll give you a home. Come, and I'll give you a bed. But I've got nothing but a pension. Go and leave your pension behind. Who else will tell you that? Who tell you? I'll put you on that bus tomorrow. I heard Jim Jones talking about equality among races, what it's like living in California in the Redwood Valley, the good works that they're doing, things like that. Like, I wanted to get involved with, but didn't even know where to make an entree. Uh, make an entrance. No, he said, he, he, sudden, he did say entree, but I don't know what the fuck that means. I mean, maybe that's a synonym for entrance. <laughs> where to make an entrance, and all of a sudden the answer was there. Jim Jones again. 
Somebody is gonna get on the freedom train in Philadelphia. He was there for three evenings, and the third evening I went off. The, I went off on the bus and came to California. When I joined People's Temple in the spring of 1966, there were exactly 81 members. Five years later, an extended family of 80 people had become an organization of thousands. People's Temple really was a black church. It was led by a white minister, but in terms of the worship service, commitment to the social gospel. Its membership, it functioned completely like a black church. Jim Jones' son, Jim Jones Jr. He talked black. He really understood it. He understood how it was to be treated differently. And that's from his roots coming out of Lynn. When people heard Jim, they didn't look upon him as being a white preacher, you know? People didn't look at Jim as being white. He was not white. He was just their preacher. As older people joined, it took a year or so, and he'd convinced the people that he was doing so much in the community, and so why not, rather than just tithe your 20%, why not sell your home, give the money to the church? And that's what people began to do. And remember the one of the tenets of being in a cult. They exploit you financially. Well, this would be part of that financial exploitation. Psychologically, financially, emotionally... Yeah, and you know, like, it's, Physically. it's one thing to give tithe and all that, but when the guy starts saying, I don't need the tithe thing, I don't, see, I get it, I understand, but when you run into an issue is when people are tithing when they don't have the money, and you have the church or other, other people in the church community trying to intimidate other people or trying to make them feel bad because they're not tithing anything, and you're like, well, I don't have the money to tithe anything. Um, but that doesn't happen all the time in all churches. There are other churches that are a lot more open. But there are people who are, quite frankly, judgmental about it. And that's pretty shitty. Well, that's a whole also, that's a whole other onion to unravel right there. That but. is a whole other onion for sure. But I just, I, I witnessed it personally. Oh, My yeah. dad was struggling with, with finances. And he'd be tithing his 10, 20%. And I'm like, we can't afford it. We period, dude. I remember. But we'll get it back tenfold oh, yeah. because the Bible says so. Says so. Never happens usually. You just give that money and it goes nowhere, and you could really use it to put food on the table or pay bills. It's like I'm pretty sure if God was real, He'd understand. He'd be like, "Hey, you know, can't pay the ten percent, twenty percent. It's fine." It just seemed like that's something that might not even be something that. If God exists, he actually thought of. It seems like something that man thought of. Yeah, that's all I was gonna say. It sounds like something they added, they tacked on in the King James, you know, or whatever version. Yeah, a long time ago. Hey, that's that's throwing a ten percent thing. Yeah, I remember uh, the church I went to one time. They were doing this fundraiser to build a new church next to a plot of land that they had to, uh, next to the old church, and they had this like crudely made like church out of this like this like diorama or, or this little you know building of a church it was like a wooden box but it was like a big piggy bank essentially and they had people putting money in it over a certain period of time and they were like praying over it and they said that they prayed and they and and god told him that the money that they needed for the church was going to be in there and they opened uh -huh. it up man that shit was so short of what they needed it was like such an embarrassment like it's like dude don't do shit like that you're only gonna you're only gonna fuck up your congregation because they're gonna be like wow this guy you know he's not as <laughs> in with god as he says that he just, is just the whole stuff like that with tithes and stuff makes me think of that uh skit from in living color 
where you had Jim Car- Jim Carrey and Damon Wayans are playing uh, playing preachers, and they're all asking for money, and they do this whole thing where uh, they're not that's not enough, you know. Pull out like a gun. It was like reach for this, reach for the Lord. <laughs> you know, it's like give us your money. <laughs> yeah, my parents uh, just alone. My parents. I remember one time when I was a little, when I was like a little kid, like glancing over at a check that my dad was writing out and it was for $900 and he just put it yeah. in the collection plate and I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? Sure yeah. sure they were happy to get that fat ass check when they checked their collection plate. Anyway, that's uh-huh. that's getting off topic here. At, well, it kind of ties into at it. No point, we're talking about tithing. At no point, though, have any did any of these people ask us to sell our fucking houses and give them the money. Yeah. That's where the cult part comes in. So um, Jim Jones is quoted here saying, um, Now in this church, what have we done in a short time? We have four senior citizens' homes that are the most innovating, the most beautiful you want to see. They had their own rooms. They had every need taken care of. They had their food provided. They were well looked after. Now my home is stone block and there's not a piece of new furniture in it. But our senior citizen homes, they're elegant and that's beautiful. To be honest, that's honest. Another thing that's kind of admirable about him. Yeah, well, it was the I mean, whole yes, socialist mentality. He did mentality. get them to sell sell their homes, but he gave them something in return that was arguably better. Right. Everybody so, gives him money, and he redistributes it as as he sees is the common good, which is you know trademark socialism. Yep. And they were giving their lives money and, and savings to the church. But in exchange, the church was agreeing to take care of them in the community, not just in a nursing home. Well, well it got to the point there where there were so many duties in the temple that some people had to become full-time. So when you were full-time temple, you worked about 20 hours a day. Whew. There were people who ran rest homes. There were animals to be taken care of. There were pu- the publications. Everybody had a job. We turned our paychecks over every time we got paid, and then we got an allowance. Five dollars a week. Five dollars a week. Jeez, wow. That's like how much I got when I was like seven years old. If I had to go to the doctor, it was taken care of. If I had to go to the dentist, it was taken care of. If I needed clothes, that was taken care of. We would always try to let each other know the next day, well, how long did you sleep? Oh, I slept two hours. You only slept two? Well, I slept an hour and a half. The longest I ever stayed awake was six days, and that's with no coffee, no nothing. And see, that's insane. That's got to be a part of the brainwashing right there. Yeah. Depriving people of sleep, re-education through labor. That's that's all tenets of brainwashing right there. Being in an environment where you're constantly up, you're constantly busy, and you're made to feel guilty if you take too many luxuries like sleeping, you tend to not really think for yourself, and I did allow Jim Jones to think for me because I figured that he had the better plan. I gave up my rights to him, as many others did. And then Jim Jones is quoted here as saying, Edie, fingers, are your fingers numb in your right hand? And then this woman in the uh, church congregation, she reaches her hands out, and he goes, reach the fingers out. Reach the fingers out that are bothering you. And then he does this, like, dramatic, like, flail of his body on the pulpit. And she's uh-huh. like, now, is the pain gone? And she's, like, wiggling her hands around, and everyone's, like, going ape shit, like, oh, my God. And you're God. pretty sure, I- I'm guaranteed it was a plant. Yeah. That's how it is for most of these uh, televangelists, or, uh, or not necessarily, he wasn't on TV, but... You know, most of these charlatans. Uh, Fletch Lives did a great job 
uh, exposing all of that. That was that. There's a really funny scene where they're doing the whole thing where they're showing the people in the audience, and it, they're all determined by a computer, and they all are. You know, it's all a bunch of bogus BS, and they're actually communicating. Uh, with them, with uh, microphones and stuff, and so on and so forth, and Fletch gets on there and makes a whole mockery out of it. It's great. Oh, back when Chevy Chase was funny. There was a senior citizen, and we nicknamed her Power. He would have her come up to the come up in the midst of one of his meetings, and she used to say, "A man got power. The man got power, y'all!" And the whole place would just go, "Why?" Jim Jones, take your glasses off. Let's just dare in our faith. Now look at my face. I love you. The people love you. Most importantly, Christ loves you. What do you see? He holds up one finger and she goes, one finger. And then it was like, oh shit. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was It was a lady that was wearing glasses and apparently he cured her sight. Yes, just like that. One of the most incredible healings to me was this little old lady and she was in a wheelchair. Jim said, darling, you know, today is your day, and we're going to, you're going to get healed today. And he said, we're going to, we're going to heal those legs of yours, and you're going to walk again. And the whole auditorium went totally crazy. Come forth, my dear. Stand up. Take that step. Take that step. Bless your heart. Take that step. And she takes this real slow, shaky step. She said, I can feel it. He said, yes, I know you can feel it. Now take the other leg and do it. And so another real slow, shaky step. And he says, now I want you to walk toward me. Move forward. Move forward. Move forward, darling. Oh, you can do it. And she starts taking forward steps. And pretty soon she is walking. And she starts walking up one of the aisles. And pretty soon, pretty soon she's running. Well, by this time, the whole congregation's running down the aisles with us, and we're all just running around the aisles, just hooping and hollering up a storm. And later, I found out that this person that I had, I had seen healed and cried with was really one of the secretaries, made up to look crippled and blind. For those people that hadn't grown up in the apostic world, Jim would say, you know, I know this is different for you, but for people to come from extremely religious backgrounds, so I can bring them forward to the message. That's that's so important for all of us today, and that is activism. Then I need to speak on each person's level. So going back to that whole uh, moment in the documentary where the girl is running around the aisles, like that, that's it. Actually, it's such a crazy uh, bit of footage to watch because it's just everybody's going when they say when uh the interviewer says the person who's interviewed says everybody's going nuts it is like everybody's going ape shit about it yeah it's like a fucking then, like uh it's like a battle rap concert like from the eight mile yeah. scene or some shit or, or that scene in blues brothers when they go to the church yeah <laughs> everyone's like waving they doing jazz hands as they're like running <laughs> up and down the aisles and shit you know just with that that real like spirited like gospel piano in the background yeah and the the jarring uh juxtaposition of the interviewer just all of a sudden going deadpan and saying that i found out that this person that i'd seen healed and, and cried with was just a secretary it's just 
that really uh, resonated with me. Kind of showed you. Like, it showed you wow. the start of of the kind of yeah. the more devious and duplicitous nature yeah. of this guy, right? Because mm-hmm. why are you trying to? Why are you being disingenuous all of a sudden? Uh, because it's how he can keep getting more congregation, getting more people to come into and be a part of the people's. Temple. Well, Mike, that was kind of a hypothetical question, but you know, it's just saying like. I was just I just throwing it out there. It's like, well, if this is legit, why are you doing this? You know, and it's like, well, I mean, that's what a lot of people would think. That's when the but cracks. There were a lot of people that were also really so deep into the people's temple that they didn't really see that kind of thing until it was too late. So he said, a lot of you people, you Christian people coming in, you're so hung up on this Bible. He said, this black book has held down black people for the last 200 years. He said, but I'm going to show you this has no power. So he leaned way back like a football player, and he flung it. And when he flung it and let it go, the place got dead quiet. Like, and he waited. Until it hit the floor. Pow! And when he hit the floor, he stood, and he looked back and forth. He said, now, did you see any lightning? Now, did you see any lightning come from the sky and strike me dead? Okay, now now, now that scene right there is when, for me, as I'm watching this documentary, I go, whoa. This dude just took the Bible, which is supposed to be the cornerstone of the Christian faith, and he just mm-hmm. flung it and said, basically said, fuck this book. Yep. And I think if you were in that church because you liked the way this man was delivering the word of God, I think at that point, any logical person would have been like, all right, I'm out. This dude just threw the word of God. The problem is logic and reasoning was already starting to to, to fade away in, in the people's temple, especially with people who were working for the temple. I mean, you're working 20 hours you're not getting much sleep at all. It's it's just one of those things. You're like, wow, I've never seen that before. I'm I'm wondering how if there were any members who did leave at that point. Like, oh wow, that was that was too far. Like that was fucked up. You know. I wonder. Maybe I don't know. So then Jim Jones goes on to say. You're going to help yourself or you'll get no help. There's only one hope of glory. That's within you. Nobody's going to come out of the sky. There's no heaven up there. We'll have to make heaven down here. The reason why I don't think anybody left is because you watched the footage of that. As soon as he says that, everybody cheers. Yeah. <laughs> it's just ra- It's just a total raucous applause. I mean, you know, maybe this documentary doesn't do the best job of like, um, painting the best picture of, of of the subtle escalation to this uh-huh. point, but good lord, man, this guy's throwing the Bible. He's saying there's no heaven. He's saying nobody's gonna come out yeah. of the sky. But you know who is gonna help you? Me. I'm your God. Yeah. Cult rule number that, one, that, pretty exactly. much. Exactly. That's really where he started to transition from just a guy with uh, sociopathic and psychotic tendencies to a genuine cult leader um but even then i mean his point there that's not necessarily that bad i mean the whole thing where it's like we'll have to make heaven down here 
And that definitely appealed to a lot of people, especially the African-Americans in the community, because it was, you know, they were looking for some kind of way to, to have a heaven on earth. But at this point, if you are a true, quote unquote, Christian, you know, you you would just you. Well, wait a second. This is totally against what the Bible's saying. And as a Christian, yeah, if if something is going against what the Bible is saying, then it, it is uh-huh. wrong. It is. I, I think I think you'd be surprised, you'd be very surprised by what can happen with people like Jim Jones when it comes to the, to to uh, his congregation about all the crazy shit and things that he could say. It's because of how manipulative he is and how charismatic he is. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. M- myself, Josh, would not be surprised. But I'm just speaking for a group of people that I grew up with and know their way of thinking, like the back of my hand. Yeah, Should I know. Should have been someone in there going, wait, what the fuck? This, this motherfucker just threw the Bible and now he's saying there's no heaven? All right, peace out, bros. It was, it was, <laughs> it was real, man. But you just really stepped over the line. But it just shows you that these, yeah, these people had already been, you know indoctrinated they had already been brainwashed the documentary is only showing us bits and pieces of what occurred in that temple i mean for all we know he he could have done that before or he could have or he could have started smaller with a smaller thing other smaller things yeah that yeah which he probably Mm -hmm. did but it was only an hour and a half documentary so they only had so much time and he said what you need to believe in is what you can see he said if you see me as your friend i'll be your friend as you see me as your father, I'll be your father. And for those of you that don't have a father, he said, if you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. He said, even so, if you see me as your God, I'll be your God. People lifted Jim to a level of adoration because many believed that he healed them of cancer. Many believed that he had saved their son or daughter from an automobile accident. There were many reasons for people to admire, love, excuse, overlook, much of what Jim did, which kind of explains the uh, the problem yeah. I had. They showed uh, in this particular sequence. They showed some uh, uh, I thought was uh, pretty uh, memorable photos where they had people who were holding up signs that say "I believe in Jim yeah. Jones." Yeah, yeah. I wonder whose idea Today. it was for for them to do that instead of "I believe in Jesus Christ" or "I believe in so on, any other religious figure." I believe in this guy. Right. I believe in this man. Culty. Yep. I had been in the temple for just a few months. I was sent backstage in Los Angeles to get something for somebody, and I don't remember what. And Jones happened to be coming out of his room, and he said, Hi, Tim. How are you doing? How's it going? How do you like everything so far? And, oh, I like it a lot. And, you know, it's really cool. I don't remember exactly, and then he reached up and kind of patted the back of my neck, and he said, I'll fuck you in the ass if you want. Whoa. And I just kind of stammered. No. You know? No. And he said, well, you know, if you ever want that, that's okay. Just let me know, and we'll do that. Uh, <laughs> <Beavis>. <laughs> uh I think that's kind of like a red flag or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the moment in the documentary where I was like, whoa. Yeah. Like the Bible thing, I was like, oh, okay. That was the one where I was like, holy fuck. So when it gets to the point where like, I'll fuck you in the ass if you want, like, no. No, I'm I'm 
Sodomy, uh-uh. Well, that's Mm-mm. okay, but we can do that if you ever want to do that. Just let me know, and, you know, we can do... And it's like, uh, uh, um, mm, huh, well, you, sir, are not exactly what I thought you were. So... Just have his old sovereign gentleman voice, you know. Well, I'll fuck you in the ass if you want. Yeah, you know, if you ever want to... <laughs> If you ever want to fuck fucking each one another in the butt, we can do that. Uh, Jim said that all of us were homosexuals. Everyone except him. He was the only heterosexual on the planet. And, That's not crazy. And that the women were all lesbians and the guys were all gay. And so anyone that showed interest, any interest in sex was just compensating. So that was like the complete... Opposite of Applewhite, for instance. Applewhite is like, he's gay, and he does does this whole thing where it's celibate, you know, because he doesn't want to give in to his gay carnal pleasures or whatever. And and then and Jim's like, no, all of you are homosexuals. Everyone's gay. Every single one of you is gay. You're all a bunch of... That's it's like... I didn't know Jim Jones turned into this good old boy that, you know, went to my high school or something. You're yeah. all where, except me. <laughs> I'm the only straight one here. Everyone else is where. Where is a $3 bill. Anyone interested in sex, you're just compensating for your whereness. Where? That's totally, that's totally uh, something that I could hear some guy, you know, saying in the South or whatever. Yeah, and again, that that is uh, reason number five of the... Uh, just be at, like, a family reunion, and he, this guy's sloshed, and he's drunk off his Everyone ass. You're here, all gay! You're all here, except me. Bunch of, you're all gay, except for me. I'm straight. You're I'm all gay. I'm a man. <laughs> Doesn't matter what I did in the bathroom last night at the men's room at the boot rack. You ain't got no proof of that. <laughs> No proof. So, okay. So what he explained to each of us and in sermons was that sexual relationships were very selfish and they took away from the focus of the church. And that was to help others. Jim was not celibate. Nobody knew that until perhaps it was their time to find out. Which we know what that means. What he spoke from the pulpit wasn't what he did behind the scenes. Yeah, that line, no one knew he was celibate until it was their time to find out, meaning until when Jim decided he was horny for someone and fucked them, whether they wanted yep. it or not. So then we got this story. This is just even just even more absurd. I remember one night, one of the brothers had stood up and said, you know, I think everybody that wants father to screw them in the butt, you need to take an enema first. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's one of those things. It's like you can't help but hey, but folks, laugh at the absurdity we, we didn't write of that. This. We did not write this. You can go to the documentary. You can watch it for yourself. That's yeah. what he said. He goes. You just imagine that, that being a fly in the wall in that scene. This just you know. I think everybody that wants father to screw them in the butt, you need to take an enema first. I would think that like, <laughs> am I in some kind of like weird parallel dimension right now? Yeah. Like this isn't. Uh, is this the correct way to human? I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like it's from reality. So the guy's like, I'm telling you the truth, man. I'm telling you the truth. And then the question went on. Well, how many of you in here have had him do that? And whether they were lying or just following suit, hands of the men just went up around the room. And I'm sitting there petrified because I'm like, 
Is this what it's leading to? It, it, that, that I'm supposed to get to? And I'm thinking, hmm. But I played it off like, okay, I'm being cool. Okay, if that's if that's where they at, that's not where I'm at. Because I'm thinking, my wife, I'm happy with my wife. With this sleep I'm not getting, I'm not getting enough anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th that's, that, when that, when... You any you would think that any, any person that was sane or or wasn't completely brainwashed at that point would definitely be like, oh oh hell no, yeah, <laughs> oh, fuck this. Um, that's just it's. I still can't believe that it it's really so, took like, a, it the took guys a turn who were just there, like that's for sure. They they raised their hands. And it's like that scene in Spaceballs where it was like, how many assholes are on this ship? Yo. <laughs> <laughs> How many how many people got got fucked in the ass? Yo. <laughs> one of the most powerful one of the powerful things that Jim used to keep us uh not to not think was that we were never really allowed to speak with one another. And I'd look around and I'd say, "Am I the only one that feels this way?" I learned eventually not to say anything to anyone. And then in the documentary the music gets more ominous and then you have Jim Jones speaking. We had a lady who visited us here a week ago and was speaking to one at the door. And she was a member of a prominent church, a pastor's wife. And she said, I think that the poor should be made to control how many children they bring into the earth. You remember? Some leading scientists say we have to have euthanasia. Oh, no. Oh, no. Who's going to decide who and when a person's going to die? We must never allow that because this is the kind of thing that ushers in the terror of a Hitler's Germany. We must not allow these kinds of things to enter our consciousness. Like, you're any better than Hitler, Jim. Jimbo. <laughs> this, using the same kind of tactics that Hitler did. Rhetoric. Yep. Jim Jones' son, Jim Jones Jr., is quoted again. He says, My father used to tell me that people, people's lives, 60% of people's lives, were made of emotional decisions. Make your decisions, 60% of your decisions, based on logic, fact, and reason. And allow emotion to be the secondary motivator. And we were Star Trek fans. And he and I were Star Trek fans. And he used to always say, just vulcanize yourself. Just vulcanize yourself. Now, do you we were so, do you even get that yeah. reference, Mike? I never really watched. Yeah, Star yeah, Trek. he's it's 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 a Vulcan uh, Spock. You know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Spock is years. a Vulcan, yeah. and so uh, that is kind of the way that Spock looks at life and thinks about things. You know, he oh he the goes logical about his decisions based on logic, fact, and reason, okay. and then does emotion uh, as a part of it later. Although sometimes his emotions, his human emotions, do. Uh, uh, take over his Vulcan mindset, but he tends to be more about logic. Jesus, crazy to you think know, that logical. during all this craziness that was going on, like Star Trek was on TV. You know, it's like, it's like yeah. it makes it a little too modern for comfort for me. We were celebrating New Year's Eve. There were about 120 people. Jim started talking about our cause, and he said, "This punch is going to be passed around to everybody here." We all drank our punch, and then he said, you just drank poison, and we will all die right here in the church, together as one. The women were just screaming, oh no, oh no, my baby, my baby, and others just sat there. And all of a sudden, Jim says, that, po that wasn't poison you drank. 
Jim said that this... That right there is foreshadowing. Yeah. Jim said that this was a test of loyalty. He just wanted to see if we were truly committed to our cause, and that was how he would show it. Well, it wasn't about our loyalty, because we were demonstrating loyalty all the time, coming there, being there in the meetings, sitting, listening, you know, supporting, working. And I thought it had a lot more to do with Jim's sense of rehearsal. Did he feel like he was potent and omnipotent enough to really get people to kill themselves when he said so? And that frightened the hell out of me. And thus ends part one of the People's Temple documentary. Next week, we will cover the San Francisco years and then the Jonestown years, which would be the finale. It'll all be in part two of next week. Um, So what we've seen so far in this documentary is Jim kind of coming up, coming to power in his church. What started out as seemingly a very benevolent and and good to the community type church, very racially open and diverse and and uh, inclusive, very you know Christ like teachings in that way because Christ loved all people, so on and so forth. And then we start to see it kind of go a little south when they go to Ukiah and he starts having church members you know, wor- working 20-hour days and not paying them anything, and that's pretty fucked up. And he's start- starting to so- tell people to sell their house and donate the money to the church. And he starts throwing Bibles at people. And then at some point he, 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 at some point he tells a church member that, hey, if you ever want uh, me to fuck you in the ass, uh, we can do that. And uh, yeah, things really start going south from there. I would say what ultimately causes Jones' demise is all that craziness that he, for some reason, felt like he had the power or the ability to pull off and have no consequences. I feel he had that uh, at a young age, like with this whole obsession with death and the funerals and stuff like that. I I think that became an obsession of his, something that he wanted to have power over. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, like, all this craziness that he did, and there is more craziness, folks. Just you fucking wait until next week for part two. Uh, all of this is what prompted him to leave the United States because an article was going to come out against him, and he essentially mm-hmm. went to Jonestown to flee from the bad publicity he was going to get because a lot of former church members were coming out and saying all the fucked up things he was doing so uh that will all be in part two anyway so if you want to catch me and mike uh separately but always equally uh you can find us on youtube mike is youtube.com slash ocp communications he's a movie guy he talks about movies not all the time but most of the time what was the last movie you talked about mike uh I don't know if it was a movie I talked to. I, d- I did a video talking about uh, how I feel that certain cinematic icons like Freddy Krueger and so on and so forth should not be recasted. They should uh, retire when the car- when the actor retires or passes away because I personally feel recasting them is impossible because of how connected the character and the, and the success and the impact of that character is to the individual actor. Yeah. Oh, I bet that's going to be a controversial opinion right there. It actually wasn't. A lot of people agreed with me. Huh. Oh, okay. 
If you want to catch me on YouTube, I am youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, I do all kinds of videos ranging from game, video game videos to TV show videos, usually obscure TV shows that only I like, it seems like. I do product reviews, inf informational videos. I do fucking everything on my channel. I even have original music by my band, Dancing With Ghosts. Last video I did was to show you how to clean your retro games properly. Well, not properly, but the kind of a last resort to cleaning your retro games. And it involves a nail file. So if you want to see what I did to make my Mario 64 cartridge work, go check that video out. But um, until next week, I hope you guys enjoyed part one. And make sure you stick around for part two because it is going to get insane. We hope you have a good rest of your week, and until next time, goodbye. See ya. What's up, everybody? Just want to remind everyone that my album, The Nightmare Inside You, is still up for sale, and we have new band t-shirts as well. All of this is in the description of this podcast, so check it out, and if you dig the music, maybe consider supporting me. Now, enjoy some more of the album. Okay, now I'm fucking recording. Go ahead and say something. Goodbye, paradise. Sounds so very nice. But Mike, I just can't get away. Mike, I gotta ask you a question. Have you ever felt sexy? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, we're trying to redo this great B-roll that we had previously, and I didn't fucking record any of it. And I asked Mike if he said if he ever felt sexy, and he said no, but it was in a very, like, kind of sad, matter-of-fact way. And then I said how I felt sexy, like, two times in my life when I was at my skinniest. And then and, we talked about Rod Stewart. And then we talked about Rod Stewart, and then we talked about how <laughs> the, the, the lead singer of AHA, when he hit that end note for Take On Me, it's really not that crazy of a note as people think it is, because it's just your head voice, which your head voice is, thank BG, staying alive. Staying alive, staying alive, but you can tell by the way I use my walk. That's your head voice. So it, <laughs> it, it sounds like you're singing high, but it's really just, it's it's falsetto. Just like Kermit? No, Kermit would be like this right here. Falsetto's like up here. So well, he does kind of sing uh, in falsetto sometimes. Maybe. Doesn't he? I don't fucking remember. Then you can do this weird mixture if you get real good. You can combine, do this weird thing where you're kind of combining your head voice and your chest voice and you can like make yourself sound like a female or I can at least. So what I do, well, it's kind of like the Spongebob voice, but if you if you really refine it and you do it like this, it sounds kind of like a female, you know what I mean? <laughs> sounds like what a Gabriel Iglesias was doing. Oh my god! <laughs>
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, Gabriel Iglesias does it, and everybody thinks, oh, my God, that's so crazy. But it's something that you can do if you practice enough. Now, I didn't warm my voice up for that. If I warm my <laughs> voice up, I can do it longer, and it sounds more uh, convincing. But, yeah. That's how yeah. that Tom Kenny guy, or whatever his name is, he does uh-huh. SpongeBob. But his voice sounds, uh-huh. you know, better for it than mine. Well, <laughs> fuck. Um, yeah, Kermit actually sings. You've heard Kermit sing before, yeah. right? Yeah, it's not easy being gay. <laughs> he was gay. What? Wasn't he like the first gay I Muppet? Th- I don't think he... Yeah, no. he was gay. No, he wasn't. Oh, well, whatever. I thought he was gay. He said it, 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 it's, it, it's not easy being green. That's the name of the song. When I think of Kermit, I think of the Rainbow Connection. Right, he's Someday gay. He was gay. you find it. The Rainbow Connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and me. Oh, okay. La da da dee. I mean, yeah. I, I don't care that he's gay, nor do I have a problem with gay people. He's not actually gay. <laughs> you know that Kermit has as his uh, girlfriend is Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy, right? God, That's that, that was thing. that was an. They're an, a couple. That was a, an abomination of a show. All the animals fucking one another. <laughs> Frogs, fucking pigs. It's a fun show. Pigs, Come fucking on. bears. Whatever. It's not that bad. Whatever. Uh, Doctor Gonzo and his chicken. Doctor Freakout and the Freakouts or whatever that. Ba- Beaker. Beaker. What the fuck was Beaker? Was that supposed <laughs> to be human? Beaker was that. Uh, it was one of those uh, Muppets, the one that go, went like me, me, me. Yeah, me, I know. But like, yeah. what was he supposed to be though? I don't know. Like, there are plenty of Muppets that are like, I don't know what it is. Like, what is Gonzo? A bird? I know he likes chickens. All I know is Gonzo is a style of uh, of porn. A porn filming. <laughs> Can you imagine Gonzo? <laughs> oh, yeah! Actual Gonzo porn. God, no, that nose. You can only imagine what, what they'd make that nose do. <laughs> you just go down on some girl with oh, that nose. Oh, I can smell everything! God help me! <laughs> you can penetrate somebody with that nose. Yeah, man. <laughs> a, lot, uh, a, lot more accid- a lot more accidentally, too, you know. I mean, Muppets after dark. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we're probably like the millionth people who've made sex jokes about the Muppets. Well, there's this movie coming out called The Happy Time Murders, which is essentially an R-rated version of, of the Muppets. But before that, there was Meek the Feebles, which is directed by Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson used to be this really wild, crazy, ballsy director. And then he uh, did Lord of the Rings and then pretty much sold out and was never the same. Oh, like really? to be honest, the Lord of the Rings films are good, but I I I prefer the Peter Jackson who did fucking crazy shit like Bad Taste and uh, Meet the Feebles, or uh, the last film that I personally saw uh, from Peter Jackson in his prime was The Frighteners. Um, my favorite film he's done though is Dead Alive. It is the goriest one of the goriest movies ever made. It's fucking insane. It is insanity. Oh, it's wow. funny too. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's also known as Brain Dead. Hmm. All right, let's get into this shit. We've been dicking around too long. All right, 
Well, that's normal for this podcast. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm well aware. 